0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to this, the 111th episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is our editor-in-chief, Neil Hughes.
0: Hey, Victor, how's it going?
1: Amazing. How are you today? Uh,
0: Amazing as well.
1: Well, it's two of us. (laughs) Epic. I hope our listeners out there are doing well, too. Let's dig in. This is going to be an episode chock full of rumors and politics. Let's go ahead and start with rumors. So... I am looking forward to an iPhone 8, but I got to ask you a question. Are we going to – But before we talk about iPhone 8, are we going to get an iPhone 7S before we get an iPhone 8?
0: Yeah, and and for long-time listeners, this will be a little bit of uh, redundancy, obviously. But for those of you who may not listen all the time uh, or maybe aren't up-to-date on the rumors, the expectation this year is that we will get three iPhones. We will get a new flagship, $1,000-plus iPhone 8 with a completely new design and all kinds of new technology, which is why it will be so expensive Um, And then we will probably end up with two uh, lower-end, more traditional phones, an iPhone 7S and an iPhone 7S Plus, that will look uh, largely like the iPhone 7, but can can include a few new features, faster processor, maybe some wireless charging, that sort of stuff.
1: Right. And the reason why I asked that question the way I did is that in in years past, we had what some people call the TikTok schedule, right? Which is that you release a 7.0. And then you release a seven plus. And then the year after seven that, S. you release an eight. All right. Uh, let's just say that again. As you say, we release a seven. And then the following year, you release a seven S model. And then the year after that, it bumps to an eight. And so the TikTok schedule is the the major model change and then the speed bump S version and then another major major model change, and and this year, what I'm trying to get a sense of, and you're telling me is that we're going to get the S model and the major model change at the same time.
0: I think what happened there is Apple got into a, a branding scheme that consumers were comfortable with, and if they were to call last year's phone a iPhone six. S2 or something, I don't know, some ridiculous name like that, um, then people would have looked at it and said, oh, it's not really a full upgrade, and then would have held off. So by sticking with that TikTok naming convention of calling it the iPhone 7, um, they didn't have to market it poorly. Um, But I think that you've kind of seen Apple move to a three-year and longer uh, 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 redesign cycle on the iPhone. Uh, just for a number of reasons, including the fact that the industrial design is very mature now. So there's not really as much of a need to change it every every year, every two years, whatever. But I think that in our uh, very uh, – uh, I'm trying to think of a positive way to put it, but a consumer uh, culture that we have, everybody wants to have a new design. Um, and certainly culturally, uh, there is a status symbol of – having the jet black iPhone seven uh, plus or whatever. Right.
1: Having um, the antenna lines change and smoothing the, uh, the camera into the body slightly better and having a non-physical home button were right. are sweeping enough changes for people to really consider it a new model. Is that what you're telling me?
0: Uh, for some people. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, uh, You know, none of that really should matter that much. It's very superficial. However, it does matter to a lot of people. Uh, We have kind of a disposable uh, culture in many ways. Uh, Something looks new and shiny and we want it and we throw out the old one. So um, I, I think that the the product cycle has been extended in some ways, whereas the naming conventions kind of have to stay the same for marketing reasons. Marketing, you know, doesn't always line up properly with what you can actually create. Um, those are two different things. You just because you market something as an iPhone 7 doesn't necessarily mean that internally the design is is the truly next generation design that you're working on. And so no one really knows what they're going to call this high-end iPhone this year. We've just taken to calling it the iPhone 8 because that's all we really know of Apple's naming conventions, but other rumored names have been iPhone X or iPhone Anniversary or iPhone Edition.
1: Edition like the super expensive Apple Watch that they didn't sell for very long.
0: Right. Well, they they still sell it. Now it's just the uh, ceramic one. They just got rid of the gold. Does it still cost $10,000? No, it costs $1,000. Oh, well, in that case, I'll have two, please. It's actually pretty nice. I've seen it in person, and uh, um, I I really like the look of it. I, I would I would spend $1,000 on an Apple Watch if it came with an LTE radio and uh, and all that.
1: Well, yes, that, that would make a ton of sense. So we're going to get seven S models that are speed-bumped versions of what we have and an improved thing that may be different. Is that what you're trying to tell me?
0: yeah, it's all at looking, the same time. It's looking like we'll get well maybe a little bit later on the eight. Um, that's not unheard of for Apple to do to uh, say, well, this one's out this week and then the fancy one in a few weeks kind of thing. Um, right but
1: they'd announce it at the same time, right? It wouldn't be a surprise announcement for the the fancy one, would it No no' they're not that do. would that would be
0: they are not going to do that difficult. No, um, I think that uh, this may be similar but to a more extreme extent of what you saw with the uh, Jet Black iPhone 7 last year. Uh, Either limited availability at launch or almost no availability or launching later. Um, I think that the high-end one um, is going to be very hard to get. And also, uh, demand will be lower just because of the cost. I think this is an easy way for... Apple to kind of ease into the switch to OLED in the iPhone, um, just because there's only one primary manufacturer of OLED globally right now and it's uh, limited capacity. So for Apple to ramp up that production becomes more difficult um, and potentially problematic. So by limiting it to just the high end model, um, they can, and charging an arm and a leg for it, they can kind of curb demand a little bit um, and still uh, sell a boatload of phones.
1: Right. So. This model is going to be made with a screen by Samsung, is that right? Samsung is the maker you're referring to there?
0: Yeah, uh, that's the expectation. I mean, they have something like 90% of the world's capacity of OLED or OLED manufacturer, as people say. So um, I think that uh, Samsung will be the primary, if not the sole provider of OLED screens for the iPhone 8.
1: It's unusual because Apple tends to want to, to, let's say, hedge their bets by having multiple suppliers of parts.
0: They do where they can, but it takes time sometimes. Uh, Don't forget that for many years, Samsung was the sole manufacturer of the A-series chips for all of Apple's mobile devices. So uh, it took years for TSMC uh, to really up their production to a level where they could compete with Samsung. Uh, And you can see some of that now, some of the supply chain rumblings and rumors. You you always got to take those with a grain of salt, obviously. However... Um, When you look and see uh, Foxconn, um, Sharp, uh, Japan Display starting to invest in OLED um, and, and Apple kind of maneuvering behind the scenes. I think that Apple's looking two, three, four, five years down the road and and thinking, how can we make sure that when we want to have all LED on all of our phones and all of our iPads and all of our Macs, how can we be sure that we have quality, we have options, um, and we have enough uh, to, to meet demand?
1: Right. So expect a new model, expect it to have OLED, expect it to be difficult to get one and costly.
0: Right, and so we ran a feature uh, this week about uh, OLED um, and some of the reasons that Apple might switch to it. Um, the The reasons for it um, are uh, numerous, but not so pressing that Apple's going to force its entire lineup to do uh, OLED. Uh, you can have thinner displays with the technology. Um, you can have curved designs. So. For example, uh, those Samsung Galaxy S Edge phones uh, that have like kind of a wraparound on the corners and stuff. Uh, right, you when you
1: do a, a swipe from the edge, you're actually just. You, you can see things on the edge. You can use that as an extra row of places to put buttons, and you can swipe from the edge, and it's seamless kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think that Apple is going to do that necessarily, but I could see them having just kind of a rounded surface on the top for for reasons of fit in the hand and comfort and and that sort of thing. Um, that that's one of the expectations for the iPhone eight, um, but. Uh, there are other applications that would be beneficial to users as well. Um, taking up less space allows for larger battery um, and also the technology behind LED is different from an LCD or traditional LED panel. So with those types of things like you have in your TV or or what have you or your phone or or your computer even, um, they are illuminated by a backlight behind it, which um, while there are dark areas on the screen or even black areas, uh, they're still somewhat illuminated by the backlight. Whereas with an OLED panel, one of the reasons it's thinner is it because it doesn't need a backlight, and the reason it doesn't need a backlight is because each pixel itself is individually illuminated. So that means that when you have an OLED screen, the blacks on it are truly black; they're not actually well, they're turned they're turned off they're off they consume no power. <laughs> so one of the reasons that you may see a um, dark mode user interface for iOS eleven this year would be to take advantage of that display. So if you use an Apple Watch, the UI is primarily dark because the Apple Watch has an OLED display. Um, And so I would expect that if there is an iPhone 8 with an OLED display, that you will see perhaps an optional uh, dark mode user interface for the iPhone to really eke some more battery life out of it.
1: Definitely. So this is kind of cool, though. I mean, a lot of people have been asking for OLED for a long time based on their experience with Android phones and OLED. Um, color reproduction has gotten a lot better. It wasn't always as accurate as it is now.
0: It's still not as good. It's still not great on, on the Apple Watch, but that's a smaller, cheaper display, too. So,
1: Well, but, but you know, in terms of, of being outside in full sun and being able to read the device.
0: Right. Yeah, especially with a Series 2 watch. Um, it's much brighter. And you know it has its advantages OLED dis- displays are very bright but I always liken it to you know like when you go to Best Buy or whatever and they have all the TVs there on display and they crank up the contrast all the way and the brightness it's like demo mode it's like human beings buying electronics and we're all guilty of this even I am we're all uh um like like insects attracted to light you know and we're gonna Shiny. get we're gonna get zapped by the bug zapper at one point but It always – it's funny to me like because I keep my phone almost permanently on like the lowest possible brightness (laughs) setting just to maximize battery life. Of course you do. When I I pick up somebody else's phone and the brightness is like cranked up all the way, it always kind of takes me by surprise. It's like – oh, look at the really nice screen on here. And it's really just about the fact that they have like a normal or high brightness on their phone draining their battery, whereas mine is always super dull. And so when you go to that new screen, it's like, oh, this is exciting. And so I think that that is one of the reasons that on Android phones and the comparisons and stuff why people always say that OLED is so much better than the iPhone screen. They're just, they're bright displays, which has its advantages, obviously. Um, but I think that brightness alone does not a great display make. Yeah,
1: no. It's it's interesting you mentioned that demo mode kind of thing for consumer electronics stores, because how we use anything in those stores is completely irrelevant to how we actually consume them or use them in our day to day lives. Right. You know, the, the TV's being all out of whack for colors and stuff. I you get TV home, you have to calibrate it first thing so that it actually looks right. Um, the same is true of, of audio products in those stores, right? You go in and someone's cranking up the speaker so they can hear the bass. <laughs> right. You no one listens to it that loud, I swear. No. At least not for any length of time. No, they don't. It's it's nuts. But that's what it takes to show off an iPhone. And so you see on those, those fixtures that they have in Target and places like that where they have an iPhone locked to the display, <laughs> that the brightness is cranked way up on those things.
0: You have to compete in a marketplace, whether or not you like it, whether or not – you can tell consumers all you want, that you have the best display, the color, accuracy, reproduction, all that is right. But – if people go into a store and are attracted to shiny things, then you have to compete on that front. Yeah, I,
1: I once had a, a, a buyer tell me, and you know, buyers for retail, right? They uh, they they pick which products go on the shelves. And I, I had him once basically say he evaluates audio products like that on the basis of what's going to make me stand up and say that's unbelievable. I need to tell my mom about that. That was his his path for making a buying decision.
0: <laughs> well.
1: And if the speaker didn't make him do that, he wouldn't do it. So it's the same for phones and, and for everything, really. It has to be the thing that makes you say, that's what we have to have.
0: Well, and especially in the phone market, where everything's just a, a little black slab, essentially. Like, how do you make your product stand out? That That is a problem that that every company faces. And, and to be clear, all of this is not to say that OLED is not good technology and that Apple shouldn't switch to it. There are many advantages to doing it, but there's also just the realities of being competitive in a consumer electronics space. Okay.
1: So but but OLED isn't the only thing we're going to get on this iPhone, right? We're also talking about wireless charging mm-hmm. and the invisible home button and mm-hmm. uh you know, glass sandwich design and and cool things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, are are we going to get this right away? How long after is it going to be after the September reveal?
0: I would expect that I mean, there have been times in years past where Apple waited uh, about a month, a month and a half before it hit market to kind of ramp up production. Um, They could do that for reasons this year, uh, including limited availability of, of parts, also to keep the design a secret until they unveil it. Um, You know, that was one way for Apple to keep the Apple Watch design secret before it was announced because it didn't actually launch for another, you know, six months after they announced it. Uh, I don't think you'll have to wait that long for the iPhone 8. It will be on the shelves before Christmas. I also don't think it will be as bad of a situation as it was with AirPods where they launched a couple days before Christmas. I would say expect an iPhone announcement in September. Expect the um, iPhone 7S series to go on sale within a couple of weeks. And the iPhone 8, I would be surprised if it went anywhere past uh, mid-November, but I would expect maybe maybe October time frame would be my best guess at this point. Okay.
1: And, and what do we think it is that's pushing this out? Because there's got to be some feature that's causing this, this uh, timeline delay. Well, we, we just talked
0: about OLED and how there's limited OLED. availability of that. Um, there is a completely new industrial design, glass sandwich, as you said. Uh, Apple is introducing entirely new uh, 3D facial recognition technology for the face. That's camera. where I was
1: going with this, mm-hmm. the 3D sensors, because we hadn't mentioned that yet.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of new technology in there, but that's certainly one of them. And what makes that one more interesting is that uh, it's going to be proprietary technology. So it's not like the OLED screen or Or some of the other parts that uh, that Apple is just buying in bulk, you know, as any other phone manufacturer would. Uh, This is probably going to be a combination of some tweaked off-the-shelf hardware and uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, programming that that Apple is going to be doing on their end to customize this and, and turn it into a solution that nobody else has or can compete with right now. Um, and you've seen examples of this in the past where Apple will introduce things like Touch ID, um, and I think this is going to be along the same lines where um, it's going to change in a lot of ways the way you use your phone, but also could prove to be a bottleneck for production.
1: Right. And my comment on on something like that where it's a feature like Touch ID is the first generation of any of these things that they do is always good for what it does at that time. Right but then prepare to buy a new phone when they develop what it can really do kind of thing. You know, I think back to the iPhone 5S where it got touch ID, but you weren't able to do Apple Pay, for example. Right. So we'll get this 3D sensing technology, we'll see what it can do. It'll be cool. And then I'm I'm almost positive they'll they'll refine it in the next version after because why would they stand still? And that's the one you'd want.
0: And there's expectations that they're going to let developers tap into this 3D facing sensing technology on the FaceTime camera. But I wouldn't be surprised if you have to wait a year for that just because um, that is kind of how Apple rolls. They do it nice and slow. Touch ID wasn't available to developers till a couple years or a year after it launched. Um, you know, support for some of these features takes some time to be opened up. I mean, developers still can't tap into the NFC chip on the iPhone. So... Uh, whether or not that 3D facing, sensing facial recognition technology is available to to developers at launch is a big question that I have going into it because I can see the pros and cons of it. The limited uh, use case of it for what Apple would offer, which would essentially be, you know, uh, logging into your phone and, and some Snapchat-like video features um, is is the basically the furthest I could see Apple going with it at launch. But if they open it up to developers, uh, then that could be a big uh, game changer. Definitely.
1: All right. Now, one of the quick articles that I wanted to talk about is something that Roger published about Siri. You know, we we, we beat up a lot on Apple about Siri, many people do. But Siri is available in 21 languages across 36 countries, and Cortana is, supports 8 languages across 13 countries, and Google Assistant, which is the one that replaces Google now, if anyone can keep up, speaks only 4 languages. And Alexa is available in English and German. So as much as people like to pick on Siri for not being a very good speech assistant, it does quite a lot, Um So what they do when they they want to add a new language to it, and this is just interesting to me, that's why I'm taking time on it, is that Apple starts by having people read passages in a variety of accents and dialects, and then these passages are transcribed manually so that computers know what they're supposed to be learning. And after being supplemented with a huge number of sounds captured in a range of voices, they build a language model that tries to predict word sequences. After they have all the data, they they release dictation. They, uh, They don't actually go full on to syria they go with dictation first and then after dictation support works they release the language
0: yeah it's, it's I interesting it's I, can't, so. I can't i can't speak to the uh, abilities of syria and other languages because like a typical uh, american i only speak one language unfortunately but um, <laughs> yeah that's me I, saying shame on you I I was I took about eight years of Spanish when I was a kid, but without any actual use of it in my daily life, it just kind of goes away. So, um, yeah, I can't speak to how well Siri performs in other languages. I will say it has a long way to go in English, though.
1: Well, there there are a couple of different parts of this, right? There's the recognition part, and then there's the processing and finding the answer, right? And you'll have different failures uh, as you ask a question. You'll get the failure where it doesn't understand. And, and transcribe properly what you said that's one failure mm-hmm. the other failure is the one where it transcribes properly what you said it knows exactly what you said and then responds with I can't find anything about this would you like to search the web
0: and then there's also server errors where you ask it something and it goes I can't help you right now even though it hears you accurately
1: yeah but that's that's um, a separate problem from the AI problems involved that's a, right. a availability problem
0: but that happens those. on perfectly good connections all the time for me, so. You're in New York. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, I read it all, online all the time, people saying that it doesn't, that it just like yeah. randomly doesn't work for them, so
1: I don't know. I, I have that less and less. What I have more of is the um, the difficulty with, with it actually responding with a valid answer.
0: I think the fact that Siri launched on the Mac without HomeKit support is one of the most embarrassing things for Apple.
1: You know, what I think is is difficult is they they have this preconceived notion that your phone will be in the interface that you want to speak to Syrian. And that's an assumption that I think is faulty because for people who are multilingual, you may want to have your phone in one language as an interface because you don't switch that very much. Right. Right? It's kind of a pain to go through and tell the phone to change interface language but you want to be able to dictate or handle siri in other languages you can switch keyboards but you can't switch which language that you want to dictate in
0: yeah that would and, make sense
1: and when you try and speak in the other language if, if you're set if your phone interface is for example set to english and you start dictating in hebrew for example um it doesn't know what to do with it it has no idea if you switch the phone's interface to hebrew and dictate in Hebrew, it works perfectly. If you try and dictate in English, it, again, doesn't know what to do with it.
0: Yeah, that seems like something that, that they should be able to add. But, I mean, I'm not holding my breath at this point.
1: No, I understand. But but it's still, it's, um, you, know, the, you know, a v- valid use case would be something like uh, Switzerland, where Switzerland has two languages, German and French. Right. And you speak both. But if your phone is set as one as the primary one, then that's the one you get to dictate in. Yeah. This is dumb.
0: Certainly in uh, Quebec as well.
1: That, there you are. All right. Let's move along. I want to talk about these headphones you reviewed. Go on. Tell me about them.
0: So I reviewed what the. Are, what are
1: these ugly things
0: here? <laughs> I reviewed the Odyssey iSign 10 headphones. Odyssey is a premium headphone company. Um, that specializes in uh, really high end, uh, uh, really nice headphones, and they managed to do. Well, they,
1: they got an, they got an absurd name, and these things look like they, they look like the sides of Tie Fighters from Star Wars.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the the iSign uh, ten. This company specializes in uh, planar magnetic technology. And basically what that is, is uh, using magnets with a membrane in between to get a more uniform sound. So when you have a traditional headphone or speaker or whatever, uh, there's a central point on, on the membrane that, that moves. Uh, with magnets on each side, you can have essentially the entire membrane move, which, uh, which on a small scale means uh, that when it comes to your ears, Uh, you get a more uniform and a more dynamic sound. Now, this technology has for years been in larger headphones, including from companies like Odyssey, um, and they are generally big, on-ear, can-style headphones because if you think about the space that it takes to build that type of technology, it's just large. So this company somehow managed to cram this stuff down into, uh, I can't really call them Earbuds per se, but I called them for the headphone review in ear because they are small enough and light enough that you could use them without the clips that come with them, and they'll and they'll, they will stick in your ear. They have like a, a little piece that goes in your ear, and then a lot of it rests on the outside because that's where they had to put the the membrane and the magnets to 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 make the sound. And uh, they look. Uh, a little ridiculous i'm not gonna lie um and all
1: they're missing is a blue led and you'll look like a Cyberman from <laughs> uh from doctor who
0: thank goodness there are no blue leds on these because they're wired but blue leds flashing on every device are like the bane of my existence like i take like duct tape and put it over everything black masking tape oh yeah electrical mat- tape. masking tape Ugh. i'll just grab whatever i can but like i have a pair of um Headphones from uh, uh, Turtle Beach that are 5.1 gaming headphones that sometimes they'll use, you know, just not to wake anybody up while playing a game or watching TV or whatever. And they have just on the right side a pulsing blue light that is so bright that it illuminates the room. Like I can see the, just like imagine you're trying to watch a movie and just a blue light keeps flashing like an airplane's about to land or something. So I had to cover it up with tape and it turns out it's the power button too. So I have a piece of tape over the power button that I have to lift up. It's so stupid. But anyhow, don't don't get me started on that. Uh, These headphones look ridiculous, as people in our comments and on Twitter noted. They they are not your normal headphones. They look this way for a reason. Now, the aesthetics of the TIE Fighter aside, uh, the, the outside of the ear has to be so large just because I don't think that they could physically shrink it down any more than they have. But the end result is a pretty outstanding pair of headphones. Uh, they connect through uh, the lightning cable on your iPhone or your iPad um, it's a proprietary um, uh, DAC on there uh, that they call uh, the cipher cable uh, which actually has its own memory on there that will remember your custom uh, uh, settings for the headphones and then so when like, you plug like it, equalization yep. and stuff like that okay so you can do the equalization through their app, and then save it to the cable. It'll have two presets on there, and then you can switch between them and plug it into another device that doesn't have that installed or you didn't configure it on it. It'll work just the same. Um, and, but I found that the out of the box settings were fine enough. But then again, if you're the type to spend $400 on in-ear headphones uh, like this, then you probably you know are the type that would want to customize it or, or do some f- sort of custom setting like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not cheap. Uh, there, There is a $350 option that does not include the lightning cable, but if you're, you know, listening to the Apple Insider podcast and you're interested in these headphones, pay the $50 and get it with the lightning cable, believe me. Um, th- but, I mean, they sound fantastic. I've never heard in-ear headphones or buds or anything like that that sound as good as this. Just absolute uh, outstanding quality, uh, the, the, the range and... Uh, Uh, space for each individual sound as you listen to music or whatever you're listening to. Um, Everything has a very clearly defined space in it. A lot of times when you have cheaper headphones or whatever, everything kind of becomes muddied and the vocals and the bass kind of drown each other out and you can't hear the guitars and whatever. But here, if you're, if you're listening for specific instruments or specific elements, um, it works uh, really, really, really well.
1: And on top of that, I want to mention besides the, uh, the, the earphones and the cable that you get. In the package, there's, of course, an instruction manual, which is loaded on a USB thumb drive. So, bonus, yeah. you get a free thumb drive. <laughs> you get a uh, you get a cleaning brush. Yes. Which is, of course, useful because everyone has nasty ears, and you want to keep them clean. And these you go in your ears. The, uh, so. Clean out the tips on these so that you can hear, as opposed to having them plugged up with, well, stuff. Um, did you jog with these at all, or were you just wearing them around the house? No,
0: <laughs> I didn't jog. I use them... Um,
1: Hey, we got we got pictures of Dan Dilger doing handstands with AirPods in. I have, jo- so I, I, have jogged, I have
0: jogged with my AirPods, but I did not jog with these. I, I prefer wireless headphones when I exercise. Uh, these are decidedly not wireless, but uh, I did try them out um, because uh, the key element of these is this is for somebody who wants. They, they don't want to compromise. They want the smallest possible form factor and they want the best possible sound, right? So I want to test these out in situations where if you were wanted that portability, so for example, on the train or on an airplane. Um, so I would just put them in my pocket and carry them around in my jeans. And, and they, while larger than a pair of earbuds are still small enough and not really that big of a deal to carry in your jeans. And, um, yeah i mean they they do what they set out to do it it takes headphone technology that should be in a large form factor and crams it down into something that you could comfortably fit in a bag or in your in your pocket
1: brilliant i you know I tried these on at c e s and I like them very much and uh yeah if I had four hundred bones, I would probably have them
0: yeah i mean as, as somebody who really likes you know, different types of headphones, people buy them for different reasons. They buy them for aesthetics, for fashion, for quality, whatever. Headphones are a very personal choice. And so it's always difficult for me to do these types of headphone reviews because I don't want to knock the aesthetics of any product that I review too much because it's all personal. Somebody might look at these and think they're the coolest headphones you've ever seen, right? Um, And and that person needs to get their eyes (laughs) checked. They are are head turners. Uh, They,
1: uh, okay. Let's, let's be very frank about this. These are not fashion-forward by any sense of the imagination. These are not good-looking headphones. They're good-sounding headphones.
0: Right. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say they're good-looking. I will say that they are unique and they're, they're charming in their own way, but I would not say that they are particularly good-looking headphones.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. You rated these things a 4 out of 5. Yes. They're 400 bucks. Why did they not get 5 out of 5? What, what did they need to do more of for you to give them that perfect score?
0: I mean, I, I think that the, the aesthetics do ding it in a way um, just because of the fact that they look the way that they do. Um, I You know, I, I can't completely discredit them for that. Um, you know, I, I think that... Um, I don't know. You know, when I come up with a score, it's hard to say. I couldn't just give these a five out of five because they wouldn't be my everyday headphones for everything. Right. Um, they, they, they look like something else that that's really what it comes down to. You know, my, my biggest problem with them and using them every day was that the, the, uh, the lightning cable included with it is thick, and it actually makes it bulkier than the headphones themselves. It was actually thinner for me to use the three point five millimeter cable, and the cable is also five feet long, which you know was bulky and and got snagged so, on stuff.
1: So you're dinging them a star out of your review because they look ugly
0: and because
1: the cable was too long.
0: I guess is that yeah right? yeah. I mean when I come when I come up, I come up okay. with a score on these reviews, right. it's more of a gut feeling than anything else. You know. There's no scientific measure to what well. There
1: there there are a couple approaches you can take. Right, you can take what's what's called sort of a net promoter approach, which says that anything less than perfect is negative, and so you start at perfect and you detract tr- tr- for everything that's not right. Right. And the other approach is you you start in, well, one approach is you start at an average, like a three, and you build up or down from there as based on what's above average or below average. Mm-hmm. And another approach is to start at zero and build up from there. I, I like to start out, my default position is, do they do the job they said they set out to do? And how well? Yeah. Right? If, I, their, if their job was coming out and saying, we're going to make the very best sounding earbuds that work with a lightning cable, did they do their job? Yes, they did. Okay, great. What did they do wrong? And then detract from there.
0: I would say if these headphones cost $250, I give them a 5 out of 5.
1: Oh, okay, so for $400 headphones, they look bad and they have too long a cable, but if they were $250, bucks, you would forgive them that.
0: Yeah, because I think price is definitely part of the thing that you have to weigh in. I mean, you know, we don't live sure. in a vacuum.
1: No, and and you're right. You know, would would you spend four hundred bucks for this? Is a valid question, but.
0: I would not Had, personally spend $400 on this is the way that I would put it. If I was going to spend $400, I would get a comfortable set of on-ear larger headphones and use those um, for those purposes. When I want portable headphones on the train or whatever, I don't need the highest quality headphones. I just want something to bang out some tunes and whatever. While I'm oh,
1: Neil, only the highest quality products can, can begin to bless my ears and
0: sound. <laughs> so, again, when I review stuff, I have to kind of take a step back from who I am versus – who my reader is versus who wants this product, right? You have to weigh all right. of those types of things. So that's, that's obviously right. my personal bias is going to play a part in this because of my personal needs. Now, you know, I, and I try not to say this kind of stuff when I write a review because who cares about what I want? You know, no, nobody really is reading, nobody's reading my reviews to go, oh, I wonder, you know, what Neil thinks of this. Like, well, but,
1: but it it, it, it comes into a part of, you know, how did you come to this conclusion?
0: Yeah. And and so like, I don't, I'll read a lot of reviews where like you read headphone reviews and a lot of times it's like somebody trying to, it almost feels like they're trying to brag to you about their personal music collection and they start like name dropping the songs that they listen to and stuff.
1: No, no. I mean, when, when I read reviews where they name drop the songs, it's not about, Oh, check out my cool tunes. It's not listen to my record collection. It's these were the things that I used to evaluate it on. And if you listen, you'll hear the same kinds of things I was hearing here.
0: Well, and then yeah. You can decide
1: I, if that's what you wanted.
0: I read right? a, I read a review last year from The Verge where I won't name the guy's name, but he said that he <sighs> got he got chills when when the beat dropped in some childish Gambino song while listening to AirPods, and I'm like, really? Like, I don't care. Like, okay, great. You listen to childish Gambino, good for you. It well,
1: was, <laughs> you know, the, the well, but there's there's something to that, right? And it should have been written better, but the idea right. is when when that bass hit comes in this pair of earphones, it makes this song come alive to me. That's on, what on, I on want AirPods? out of good audio. No, I'm just I'm just not saying about the AirPods specifically. Right, I'm saying if you're writing a review, yeah. you cite the song for this reason so that someone else can say, okay, they heard that with that song on those headphones. I'm going to take that song and listen to it on my headphones and see if I hear the same thing. And then I can try out those other headphones and see if I hear what they were hearing. Well, um, but it gives you something, because this is an objective thing, right? We aren't putting up frequency charts and saying... At 25 megahertz, it played at this decibel. You know, we're, we're saying this is what we heard objectively. You can then take the same song and see if you heard objectively too.
0: Well, but it's subjective at that point, not objective, because you're Fine. saying what you hear from it. But him. the
1: point is, is that you need to have something to compare with so that there's anything at all to relate to here.
0: Well, most of the stuff I listen to sounds like it was recorded in somebody's garage anyhow. So I don't really know that it matters to too many people what my musical taste is.
1: Right, and, and good audio reviews, we'll name a range of different genres with number of different recording engineers. So you'll get you'll get a classic rock song, you'll get something out of a Cartierian collection, you'll get some piece of classical music, you'll get a broad range of things so that you can see how it performs across different genres and different recording engineers.
0: And we are not Headphone Insider, we are Apple Insider. And so the purpose... Speak for
1: yourself, Neil. Speak for yourself. The
0: purpose of the review, because I am not, I'm certainly not a, a while I like headphones, I am certainly not qualified to the degree of someone who reviews them for a living would. And so I prefer, even though I do address the sound quality there and the sound quality is outstanding. Um, our review is written more from the perspective and the reason that we're interested in these headphones specifically uh, from the perspective of integration they, into Apple's products and they how they had work a with
1: lightning devices. cable. That's why we reviewed these things.
0: Yes. That is why they reviewed these <laughs> things because they had a lightning cable. That's absolutely correct. Got it.
1: But you liked them. You gave them four out of five.
0: Yeah. And, and when you give a score like that, it's kind of a gut feeling, but you have to consider all kinds of factors, your own bias, including Who your audience is, in this case, Apple users, and also uh, just, you know, general folks that might stumble across your review. What do they want to read? I don't know that, you know, my use case of not wanting to spend $400 on headphones uh, to uh, bring on the train that have, you know, planar magnetic head technology uh, would be worth $400 to me, but maybe worth $250 to me, you know? Got
1: it. So, Conan O'Brien... Let's give some background here before I say Conan O'Brien's name again, Conan O'Brien. Um, so there's this this fellow in U.S. Congress. He's a uh, Republican representative named um, Jason Chaffetz, who attempted to explain the Republican health care plan by comparing its price to that of an iPhone. He, he said that, that uh, Americans have choices. They've got to make a choice. So rather than getting that new iPhone that they just love and want to go spend hundreds of dollars on that, maybe should they should invest in their own health care. <laughs> now – First of all, this is an absurd statement. This is just bizarre because the cost of an iPhone is far, far, far less than the cost of healthcare in America. For our non-U.S. listeners, um, you, you can spend anywhere from $300 or so dollars up to $1,000 a month on healthcare plans in America, depending on, of course, you know your general health and, and pre-existing histories and uh, uh, the kind of plan and coverage you sign up for and how many people you're covering in a family kind of thing. Uh, but it's, it's nuts to say that you should withhold having an iPhone because you should pay for health insurance when the two aren't anywhere close in number.
0: It's not even a direct comparison, anyhow. It's it's and,
1: stupid, and and so it kind of breaks down to basically saying poor people shouldn't have nice things is is what he's really saying there. It's uh, it's it's reprehensible. But Conan O'Brien, who is a late night TV show host on uh, what is he on TBS? Yep, or, TBS, yeah, um, made a minute long spoof where he created an Apple-like advertisement saying that, uh, let's see, his copy was at Apple. We don't think you should have to choose between an iPhone and quality healthcare because you can have both. With apps like Apple Health, you can monitor your fitness and create your own medical ID. And then he started listing that uh, an imaginary iPhone could could assist with eye, ear, and throat exams and act as a thermometer with a five-day internal forecast. And using other devices like an iPad and third-generation Apple TV remote, they said that, you know, you can provide common and advanced diagnostic services. They They made up using blood transfusions using an iPad and a patella reflex test using the iPad as a hammer and uh, things like that, right? And the reason that I bring it up here is not because I want to talk about Chase, uh, Jason Chaffetz being a fool, which we've already done, or because I want to talk about Conan O'Brien's ad so much. But what was interesting to me is that almost all of the things that they imagined for this, this false advertisement exist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's an
1: app for that. Pretty much, Uh, you know, well, you know, they named Apple health for monitoring stuff and keeping track of stats fine. Um, but there are a wide number of thermometers that work with iOS. There are, there's, there's one from Withings Nokia that's called Thermo that you simply hold to your forehead and it syncs with Bluetooth over the, uh, over to the phone to an app. There's, which syncs with Withings health, which also syncs with Apple health. There's, um, there's one from Kinza, and Kinza makes one that uses the headphone jack on, on 6S and earlier devices, and they also make a Bluetooth one that is the classic in-ear kind of style. Um, there are several of these guys out there. There was one that I had last year that was interesting because it was a small patch that you used with double-sided tape to stick to a child's body and could monitor their temperature throughout the day or night. Mm. So you could see when their fever broke in the night kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a ton of these things for temperature. There are a ton of these things for blood pressure, uh, cardio, which we wrote about this week. They have a blood pressure monitor cuff that works with HealthKit and is... Uh, simple and easy and it reads systolic and diastolic blood pressure uh withings nokia has been doing that too there are a ton of these things out there so
0: i'm actually going to put you on the spot right now victor uh my wife sent me a message earlier uh to let me know that uh, we've had one of those fitbit scales for a while but this is back when we used fitbit devices uh Hmm. now we don't have one anymore or we don't have fitbit anymore and i guess the scale has died so i was thinking about getting a uh, health kit uh connected scale do you have one that you recommend
1: uh, I would say the Withings Nokia one is the one to have. That does help The it. old model, the, it, it does, yeah. The, uh, the old model was a WS30. They've since changed this to a, uh, they've got two models now. Um, I, I have the older model, but I've seen the newer ones at CES. They have Body Cardio and, oh, let's see, what's the price on this guy? It's, so they have one that's uh, $180 and they have one that is going to be about 99 I believe, or 69 I can't recall. I will go with the cheaper model. <laughs> uh, of course, but they, um, my recollection is they're, they're Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, and they automatically synchronize with their HealthMate app, and then from the HealthMate app, they go to HealthKit. And that's the way that I use them. But it would have to right. sync
0: with HealthKit through your phone, right? I couldn't do it. Like your phone would have to be nearby and connect over Bluetooth, I assume.
1: Well, no, no, no. So what happens is because the scale is Wi-Fi, when you, you connect it with your phone over Bluetooth mm-hmm. and transfer the Wi-Fi details to the scale. The scale then syncs with the Withings cloud. And then the cloud comes back to your phone via Wi-Fi for the app. And then the app syncs to HealthKit. Got it.
0: Cool. Neat. Okay. So
1: you don't actually have to be near the scale for any of this to work. Cool. Well, Except, except, for, the except setup. for you know
0: actually stepping the initial on the setup, but <laughs> except for no, actually but, stepping on the scale,
1: right? So they have two models. They have the body cardio that's one seventy nine, and they have the body model which is ninety nine. Cool. And honestly, the, that that ninety nine dollar model will take care of your needs pretty much. Uh, they're both good products. Just looking
0: to know how fat I am. That's all.
1: Well, I mean, we can talk about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not about. They they do a little bit more than that, right? They do how fat you are. They do your BMI. Um, they tell you the weather forecast when you're done measuring your weight, so you know what it's going to be like when you're getting dressed in the morning, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a high and a low, and icons for what the weather is for that. Um, if you use one of their activity trackers, it'll display the previous day's steps on there to see. You know, you can correlate your your um, steps with your weight. So your yesterday's steps were 8,000 steps and today you've lost minus two pounds. Cool. Right. Today you're down two pounds, something like that. So you can see that that kind of relationship's happening. Um, they do weight, fat mass, muscle mass, uh, water and bone mass. It's pretty comprehensive. I know all you wanted was a bathroom scale, but Hey, your wife put me on the spot. So there you
0: go. There you go. Let's we'll see what we get.
1: (laughs) But that was, that was my overriding point was that, um, it's it's one of these things where where Conan says these, he's doing this to try and be wacky in parody, but once again, the real world is too strange for the news to actually be funny.
0: <laughs> it is sad, but true.
1: It's, it's kind of amazing the Onion hasn't gone out of business yet with how <laughs> wacky the world is right now. So, Didi is a, a ride-hailing sort of automated taxi kind of thing in China that um, Apple invested in and they have opened a self-driving car lab near Apple in California.
0: Yeah, I, this is interesting because I wonder if it's a um, way for Apple to kind of indirectly do research on the self-driving car. You know, one of the things is they have to get the proper permits and all that to approve to drive a car around around California as, or wherever. As Uber found out. Yes. So <laughs> so I, I just wonder when I see this story, is the partnership with Didi a way for Apple to kind of hand off this and partner on this stuff without putting their name on it to maintain their secrecy.
1: Well, and and we've seen that before where they've created uh, shell companies of things to, to do all the research. And then at the last minute, switch it over to Apple's branding kind of
0: thing. Right. And, but this is a way for them to not only do a shell company, but to have an actual company that does, you know, all kinds of driving uh, around China uh, to use their data to build out a platform.
1: For sure, we, we've seen that Project Titan, which is the name that, that we're using for all of their self-driving efforts, has changed a lot as we've covered it. Right, right. it was going to be they're building a car or they're doing self-driving efforts or anything like that. And and we've seen them have trouble trying to find different places to have tracks. Here, Didi's got the track going now, so yep. it, it makes sense what you're telling me. Yeah, interesting to me, just because I'm. Like this, Charlie Miller, who who is a fellow who's known for remotely hacking a, a Jeep while well in motion, um, was poached from Uber's self-driving team to lead Didi's security and safety development teams.
0: Also interesting, yes.
1: I mean, I, I like the idea of the people who know how to, to hack these things being the people in charge of the security of them. Agreed. And uh, that was a very scary thing. So the, the remote driving Jeep kind of thing was they were able to remotely control over a cellular network a uh, a jeep i think it was a grand cherokee or one of these um well it was in motion on the highway and they were able to do things like shut off the air conditioning and blast the heat and mm-hmm. they were able to lock the doors and keep the windows up and uh, they were also able to shut off the engine and fire the brakes
0: it's terrifying
1: on a highway oh my god yeah <laughs> nightmare yeah And, uh, and of course, Jeep learned their lesson from that and issued a firmware update, but, but you don't really want to have your, your your car need that kind of a firmware update.
0: Well, it goes back to what you were talking about with all these connected health devices. Do we really need everything to be connected?
1: So the question is, what is the vision you're trying to get to? Right. And then you can say the same thing about connected home where all those, those webcams used the same default password and were able to be taken over right? So, what is what is the use scene scenario here? Why, why would you want connected health? Well, for one thing, you want connected health to inform yourself and, and better reach goals, right? The other thing that you want to do is, when we talk about care kit, be able to feed that into research and development for medicine so that doctors can better know how to treat a condition. So, there is a valid need for connected health, at least in some form. Yes. Um, connected CAR, we're not seeing it yet because – we're, we're we're talking about self driving. Okay, so now it makes sense to have things connected so that you can do traffic management, and so that that cars can be aware of each other and drive in swarms. Right now, we're in the early days where cars are going to be aware of themselves and and uh, navigate around obstacles, and every other thing moving is seen as an obstacle. Right. And uh, what we're going to get to in in a grander vision of this is that cars form networks. And that instead of everything else just being a dumb, movable thing, everything else will report in and they can collaboratively arrange traffic yep. and traffic flows. And we're not there yet. But that there's a reason for things to be networked Correct. if we want that future. Yes. Speaking of, of awareness and, and crystal balls, so there was this giant leak that uh, came out of a WikiLeaks CIA data dump. And among many things that it said, it said that there were a lot of vulnerabilities that the CIA had on uh, on iOS
0: yeah, th- this was um, kind of a, a story that was blown out of proportion for a number of reasons. Um, it's important to remember that WikiLeaks is believed largely to be an arm of the Russian government, um, who is currently under investigation from uh, uh, the FBI uh, for potentially attempting to interfere with the U.S. election in 2016. So, well, let's give a little
1: bit more context than that. WikiLeaks <laughs> is is an organization that started out with on the the proposition that everything and anything that could should be leaked that could be leaked should be leaked right they they said that you know they they were the ones that leaked um, oh I'm blanking on the name it was this private in the US Army who um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name Uh, Chelsea Manning that's the one yes so so they were the ones that leaked that information and at that time they were very very unpopular with US Republicans now, of course, they're they've they've switched around and are very, very popular with U.S. Republicans. So you potentially you can't really...
0: <laughs> as a result of a coordinated uh, campaign by the Russian government to uh, influence the election. Having said that, uh, and, and that is why I say that not to stir up a political firestorm here, but to give context in which you should take this information with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Especially about this, particularly.
0: Yes. Because
1: it's about a CIA leak, and so the Russians might have some reason for wanting that known and whatever.
0: Right. This um, is to uh, potentially, I, could be, to undermine our faith in institutions. WikiLeaks
1: itself doesn't necessarily have to have a political bent in that because their bent is just leaking stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. In theory, I think that the reality of Thank it, the re- that's. All I wanted to say, is out of that. <laughs> the, 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 reality, the reality of this is, um, d- and I'm not saying any of this to defend the CIA or, or their tactics or uh, the apparent or spying. Leaks or WikiLeaks or going. anyone. <laughs> I, I, I don't really have a side in all of this. If anybody comes out looking good, once again, it's Apple. Um, the, the truth of this is uh, there's no evidence in there that anybody's phone is currently at risk of being compromised. The threats that were uh, spelled out uh, very loosely in these documents that were released by WikiLeaks from the CIA uh, talk about a number of so-called zero-day exploits uh, for a number of platforms, including the iPhone. But in the case of the iPhone... Um, the, The ones that were mentioned there are ones that have been patched or require physical access to the phone. So the problem with the way this was presented was WikiLeaks put it out and made it sound as though certain apps like WhatsApp and some other things were potentially compromised uh, remotely and that their data could be just accessed by the CIA. The truth of it is very different. Um, This is something where they would have to get physical access to your phone, would then compromise the overlying operating system, and then could get access to the apps and the data within the apps. Uh, That is not happening that we know of, at least, to the average consumer. So while people's thoughts on CIA spying and certainly the zero-day exploits they were utilizing, which were in violation of a mandate from the Obama administration, which was that they should have a policy of disclosing zero-day exploits to companies to allow them to patch holes, the CIA was instead – paying for companies to keep them quiet and stockpiling these zero-day exploits so they could use it for intelligence purposes. I think that the real story here is, first of all, there's no major security threat to Apple. It's just evidence that the CIA is working to crack, which, surprise, surprise, of course they are. Um, No one is surprised by that, right? And second of all, that the CIA was not in compliance with uh, an executive order. Uh, or suggestion i suppose it was not an order but to uh release these zero-day exploits to the companies involved so that they would have an opportunity to patch them as they are discovered and instead the cia is actually paying money to uh hacking organizations to buy these exploits so that they can use them for their own purposes of spying and whatever
1: which unfortunately probably also isn't surprising once you talk about it but is. is kind of annoying that they wouldn't follow the lead from the administration.
0: None, none of this is surprising. I mean, this is the same uh, group of folks that really wanted Apple and other companies to leave a backdoor in their software so that in events of emergency, the FBI or whoever, the CIA— Well, no, could... no,
1: no. We need to be careful because the FBI were the ones asking for that while well, the NSA and CIA were saying, no, don't.
0: Well, when I say the same people, I meant just, you know, the intelligence community. but Spooks. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's certainly— um, there are legitimate reasons for people in the intelligence community want to have this information. They're they're coming at it from a perspective of security first. Um, and there are certain people uh, and certain walks of life and on certain ends of the political spectrum that may agree with that approach. I do not personally agree with that approach. Apple as a company does not agree with that approach, but it does not mean that it's necessarily the wrong approach, but it just comes down to a fundamental philosophical difference on how we treat people and the amount of trust that we place and the amount of personal freedom and the personal privacy that you have a right to as a citizen and as a consumer of goods.
1: Right. Specifically— the leaks talked about 14 different iOS exploits, and most of them were eradicated by a reboot of the device. So if, if you reboot your device, you have effectively cleared most of these as exploits, if you had them at all anyway. And uh, The others were purged by a restore. So if you restore your device periodically to a fresh state, you will have also gotten rid of all of these things.
0: Um, and the leaked documents were from late 2015, early 2016, which means they were out before iOS 10 was even announced. So,
1: right. So, if you have an if you have an iPhone 5 and are stuck on, uh, or if you're stuck on iOS 5 or or on iOS 9, you you might have a reason to be concerned.
0: If yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, but there was another interesting one. They had a exploit for the airport devices.
0: Yep. They well, they tried. Yeah.
1: They they decompiled Apple's code to install a root kit into the
0: flash storage of the airport. Yeah. It was it, it, pretty it's, extensive it's, hacking efforts again. Intriguing. Right. Again, if you're not, if you're paying attention, you know, for the last, I don't know, 60 years of, of the CIA and, and the U S intelligence, you're not really that surprised by any of this, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, of course the CIA is going to try to, to hack airport routers. It, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't surprise me.
1: They, they also tried to compromise the EFI bootloader on, uh, Mac OS.
0: right, and and that that's what they're going to do. That that is how intelligence agencies work. Um, the methods that they use, uh, while sometimes clandestine, have now been put out in the open thanks to this leak. And supposedly there's more to come. But there was a lot of scaremongering going on about Apple potentially being under attack or uh, compromised or dangerous in some way, and it's just not true.
1: Yeah, what interesting is is they were trying to have the uh to, to inject data into internet traffic and have Little Snitch, which is an application that, that shows you when data is being transferred. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to obscure it from that. But there's another application, one written by a fellow named Jonathan Zidiarski, who is on uh, on Twitter, and it's called Little Flocker. And Little Flocker, instead of monitoring the, the data transfer and telling you about it in the way that Little Snitch does, it asks you at every step of the way would you like to grant permissions for this application to do this thing? And, and so it sets up rules to gatekeep against applications doing weird things. Uh, for example, Microsoft Word is requesting access for the webcam. And you can say, well, no, I still want to use Word, but it's not going to use the webcam and disallow that from happening. And Little Flocker would, would it seems like, prevent this kind of, of exploit from the CIA.
0: And, and it's important to draw the distinction, too, when you look at iOS, many of these security functions and capabilities are already built into iOS as a platform. Um, it was designed from the beginning to be limited and to be as you know user transparent as possible. So you can open the settings app on your iPhone and go into privacy and see a whole list of services that applications need to request your uh, approval before they can access any of that information
1: mm-hmm and it's it's uh, fairly granular on iOS where it will ask you location it will ask you microphone it will ask you camera um, as opposed to Android where it's pretty much all or none and then you can go back through their settings application in uh, in Android and make it more granular mm-hmm. for applications Um Apple released a statement. They said that that Apple is deeply committed to safeguarding our customers' privacy and security. The technology built on today's iPhone represents the best data security available to consumers, and we're constantly working to keep it that way. So they have nearly 80% of users running the latest version, and that pretty much almost everything in these leaks has already been patched within the latest iOS. They're going to continue to work to rapidly address any identified vulnerabilities. And they they encourage you, our listeners, to
0: keep current. Yep. It's not as big of a story as it was made out to be from an Apple perspective, but it is a big story in how you fall on privacy and, and government snooping and uh, national security and those types of issues. Yeah.
1: Well, and that brings us to the close of another episode of Apple Insider Podcast. I encourage all of our listeners, hey, you guys out there, please feel free to go ahead and, and like and give us reviews on iTunes. And send us email. We like getting your email. We like talking to you guys and uh, and also reading your letters in the podcast. Neil, where can people find you on the internet?
0: Uh, you can read me on appleinsider.com and you can find me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L.
1: I'm your host, Victor Marks, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week for more.